Okay, welcome to the workshop service for fun and recovery. My name is David. I'm a compulsive overeater and your moderator and speaker for the session. Hi, David. Before we begin, please turn off your cell phones. This workshop is being taped. All opinions expressed by those who share are their own and not necessarily those of OA as a whole. The format of this session is a reading, two speakers, ask it, ask it, questions, and sharing on the topic. A basket with paper and pencil will be circulated for you to write down any questions you have for the speakers. Please specify whom your question is for. The reading is from the OA 12 and 12, page 101, last paragraph. And I'll read it. Service in OA has been a surprisingly powerful factor in our recovery. Simple actions which seemed unimportant when we took them have turned out to have profound effects on us and others. Hugs we've given at meetings, phone calls we've made, letters we've written, simple words of encouragement which we've spoken and quickly forgotten have come back to us, sometimes at the very moment we've needed them the most, from people who receive through them the strength to keep walking the OA path. Most of us who have been around OA for more than a few months have seen miracles of recovery in our meetings. We count among our friends people whom we first met when they were suffering newcomers. We've seen them transformed by this simple program, and we are great gratified to have played our part, even if all we did was show up at the OA meetings and say, keep coming back. The joy we received as we try to carry the message is a positive force in our lives today, sustaining us through good times and hard times, transforming us and our companions in recovery. Okay, and now it's uh, my uh, turn to speak for up to 25 minutes. Um, again, uh, my name is David. I'm a compulsive overeater. And uh, I always have to, when I share, tell a little bit about what happened, what it's like, and what I'm like now. Um, and it's very easy to keep to topic because service has been so impart important part of my recovery and uh, why I'm still here. Uh, so uh, anyway, I've, I've been a compulsive overeater my whole life. There was never a point that all of a sudden... Uh, I just became a compulsive reader or became fat. I was a fat baby uh, and uh, yeah, just fat, fat and got fatter just growing up all the time. And uh, I always also loved food and I really didn't connect it when I was little. I don't think most kids really understand you know, that you're fat and because you're eating too much. It, it, you know, it takes a little bit of maturity. And so, of course, I didn't understand that when I was young. I just thought I'd always, always be fat. And, uh, and I felt very bad about myself at a very young age. I, I really felt unlovable, stupid, ugly, not good at anything. Um, and, and the weight just, you know, was, was a big part of that. And uh, and I was a, a very depressed kid. I was I was I, I needed the food to medicate me, and it was one of the few things I looked forward to in life. I really didn't have a, I didn't enjoy sports. 
I thought I was ill-coordinated and um, and being fat, I, I just didn't do well. So I, I, I didn't like sports. Uh, my parents forced me to do, do different things, but I, I just didn't like it. I didn't like school. It was boring. Uh, some years I, I would become a goody two-shoes and the teachers liked and at other times, other years that didn't work and so I got attention by, you know, getting in trouble a lot. But, but the food was the one thing I looked forward to. It was, it was uh, my friend. It filled the boredom. It, it filled this big hole. It just always felt like there was a hole inside. And food made it, uh, food made it better. And uh, it, was my co- it was my coping mechanism. I really felt uh, that everybody else had this rule book of life and that I was just never given a copy of it. Uh, in the dynamics of my family, um, I was uh, I was the firstborn. My parents uh, had only been married uh, a little more than a year when I got when I was born, and I don't think they really. I know they didn't plan uh, to have kids right away. My uh, my dad was a Holocaust survivor, and he had lived in Israel, and he came to. Uh, California to stay with an aunt and a short time later met my mom and uh, they got married and and it wasn't their plan to have kids right away and so I was I was uh, born and um, and 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 shortly after that my grandmother died and my grandfather came to live with us and so uh, uh, I you know grew up the first five years of my life it was really my grandfather was my only companion. I, I was an only child and um, at that time and 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 I remember the messages growing up, food was everybody had their issues with food in that house. My grandfather, you know, came from Russia and, and starvation and so a healthy kid and feeding me was important. My mother was a depression baby and, and again with lots of food you know, the uh always had to have lots of food in the house. And, and my father, coming from the Holocaust and coming uh, and, and having lived in Israel when, when there was a lot of uh, uh, food shortages and stuff, everybody had, everybody had these food issues. And, I, you know, I probably would have been a compulsive. I think it's something that I was just born with, but with the dynamics, it really uh, fed into my disease. And... I was always looking for things as a kid to fix to fix my life. And I remember the first thing was when my brother was born, I was five years old, and I thought that would fix it. I finally wouldn't be an only child and would have a playmate. And, and soon that didn't fix it. And we moved to a, a, a new neighborhood, and there were a lot of kids, and I thought that would fix it. And it didn't fix it. And my life became going to school, coming home, watching TV, and eating. You know, just constantly taking food from the kitchen, sneaking it in my rooms because I had to eat. And the same like at dinner. I would, during dinner, I wasn't even thinking about my food. I was only thinking about how much food I could take when it was all over. If I volunteered to clean up the table, how much I could take back to my room without anybody seeing. And, and it was this constant, constant thing with food. And... Um, at school, I, I never felt part of... I. You know, I didn't do well um, 
it sure wasn't that I was stupid, but I, I felt stupid, and I and and I wanted to get good grades and learn things, but I didn't want to have to study, you know. So I must be stupid because I thought I should just learn without studying. Without I never thought to do homework, you know. That was I don't, you know. It's foreign when I see my own kids doing homework. It's like what are they doing? I just, you know, uh, I just never did that stuff. So, um, but I expected. I expected to get the results without doing anything. And uh, and what I see, and this is the reason I'm bringing out some of this stuff up, I, I wasn't a participant in my life. Um, my dad had this one set of, one, one family, it was actually my grandmother's cousin. She had eight children and, I don't know, about 25 grandchildren. And we grew up with, they were really the only family we had. And I grew up with all these cousins from this one family. And I never felt, they were, you know, they're all first cousins and those are all their aunts and uncles and they were distant cousins to me even though we spent every weekend with them. And I always expected them to make me feel welcomed. I never thought to give service in my family. I never thought it was like, it was up to them to say hello to me. Never I should say hello to them. And then I just didn't feel part of. And it's very lonely to be, we go to these family get-togethers, and I felt there was all these people, and I felt so alone and so different from them and not part of them. And um, and at school, the same thing. I felt like everybody, I never, it was always up to everybody else to make me feel good about me, and nobody did. You know, they being one of the fattest kids, I always just got called names and and the last one chosen for all the sports teams and all that. And I was always looking for everybody else, how they treated me. My self-worth was dependent on how they treated me. It, everything was from the outside. And, uh, and it was a pretty miserable existence. Uh, when I was, uh, how old was I? About 12 years old. I was, I, and I was really gaining weight really rapidly at that point. Uh, when I was uh, 12 years old and going into, at that time we called it junior high school, my mother came to OA and she dragged me to some meetings with her. And uh, I didn't think OA was for me. I, by then I knew I was a compulsive overeater. I knew I just loved food and I couldn't, I would try all these different diets. Every Sunday I would binge because Monday I was going to try a new diet. And I, I would, you know, grit my teeth and white knuckle it for a day or two and then I'd eat a piece of bread or one thing not on the diet and I'd say I blew it and eat, eat everything I wanted. But when I saw it, and OA at first worked for my mom. She made a lot of friends. She started believing in God. Um, she thought it was great. She never got a lot of abstinence or she never got really involved in OA at, at any kind of deep level, but it was at the beginning she really loved it and she'd have her ups and downs with OA. Uh, but I'd go to meetings with her and I think, I don't want to be like you people. I don't want to have all these OA friends. I, I, I you know, do, I, I just, to be, you know, involved, I didn't want anything to be like my mother. And, 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 uh, and so, you know, that was just very short lived that I went to these meetings with her. And then I struggled through junior high school. My grades got a little bit better in junior high school. I applied myself a little better. I had heard in a way about not taking the first bite. So 
in junior high school, they had something they called nutrition, which, which was another excuse to binge. You know, uh, besides lunch, it was like two opportunities to eat in school. And and I remember uh, my cousin said she went to, they had the best coffee cakes at the school I was going to. And I remember saying, okay, I won't take that first bite. I won't. I'll, I heard that in a way. I won't eat the coffee cake. I won't. I won't. I won't. And it lasted for many months. But once I ate the coffee cake once, Every day I had to have coffee cake. And then it was, I'm just going to have one. Just one. And then, you know, a few weeks of one, okay, I'll just have two. They're so good, I have to have two. And, and it got up to maybe two or three after a while. So OA, I had heard a few things in a way that helped, but uh, it, it slipped away. And, and also I kept saying, I'm not going to gain any more weight. I'm going to one day miraculously uh, be willing to lose weight and... And I won't need a way like you people. And it didn't happen. So in 1976, I was starting high school. And my mom went to, there was this big World Service OA convention in Los Angeles. And she got all enthused. And she made all these new OA friends. And what, she had a, a long, long time friend that she knew before she was even married who also had a son my age. And, and this lady, they had gone to Weight Watchers or Tops or something together. And this lady had told my mom about OA and had taken her years before. And so this lady was, my mom reconnected with her, I think, at that convention. And uh, they found out about a team meeting. And they and my mom said, you know, Judy's son is going to go to the team meeting. Why don't you go with him? And that was almost exactly 33 years ago. It was when the week after school was out. So it was about right now. It was the end of June. Uh, 1976 and so that's when I, I and I have never left away since I didn't think I was joining I was just going to go to this one team it was a team meeting in Beverly Hills and I was just going to go you know for a little bit that summer and I didn't think again I needed a way I was babysitting that summer and I was going to be very physically active with these kids and I was going to be in somebody else's home, so I would not eat their food. I, you know, knew it, and, and it was true for a week. I didn't eat their food. I exercised. You know, I was busy with these three boys who were riding bikes, and I was keeping them busy. But after a week, I started eating their food and stopped riding the bikes, and you know, started gaining weight again. And um, and I don't know. You know, and, and again, and I did my same pattern in that meeting. It was only six people in the room, six, and there was an adult uh, moderator there. And I was sure everybody liked each other but me, and I was sure of that. And I didn't talk, and I'm sure, you know, everybody must hate me. And it was it was the same pattern. You guys against me, and, you know, felt like an outsider. And again, it was because I didn't contribute. I didn't do my part, and I always felt like this outsider. So uh, in September, when school started, I thought I, I'm starting high school. I'm not going to. I'm going to. You know, my head is going to fix my problems, uh, and I was going to stop going to that meeting, that team meeting. And I don't know why I kept going. That's, you know, I didn't believe in God. But I know there had to be some higher power because I never stopped going to that Wednesday meeting. And, you know, in September, in those days, all the TV shows started fresh, you know, in September. And there was no, uh, for anybody young, there was no taping, right? There was no, uh, you didn't tape things. So if you missed it, you, maybe you got repeat season and that was it. 
So I remember waiting. It was like it was okay in the summer to go because my favorite shows weren't on TV. But once the, my show started, I really, it was hard. I really wanted to stop going on Wednesday because I was missing my TV shows. Um, but I don't know. I kept going. And then I started binging the student store. They had a student store, and so I could eat all in between classes. I could buy junk and eat it. You know, so I had snack time and lunch, and now I had in between every break between classes, I could buy food. And they had the best cookies. I really liked their cookies. And the first thing I did was finally I asked for help at that meeting. I, I asked. I said, what can I do to stop eating those cookies at school? And the leader of the group said, why don't every day you call in what you're going to eat to somebody and and then you won't eat the cookies because you'll commit and it'll help you. And I knew he was right, so I didn't, ar- I didn't argue. I just wasn't going to do it. But, you know, I knew he was right. And when we left the meeting, uh, the friend that, my, uh, that I was carpooling with said to me, oh, uh, do you want to call your food in to me tomorrow? And, you know, this was the one his mother was friends with my mom, and his mother had been really active in OA. And I thought, you know, he wants me to call in the food. Maybe he's more active in OA. This will give him brownie points. I'll just do it. And and I count that as the beginning of my absence of October of 76. I started calling in what I was going to eat. And it wasn't a diet, and... Um, it wasn't a food plan like my mother was on or, you know, uh, anything like that. But that's when I started. I started eating in a disciplined manner, and all of a sudden the weight started coming off, uh, to my surprise. And at that time, I was probably about 60, 80 pounds overweight. When I was younger, I was, probab- I was going through puberty at the time. I was probably, at my heaviest, maybe 80 pounds overweight, which is a lot when you're a, a kid. You know, I'm talking like 12 years old being 80 pounds overweight, that's pretty obese. Um, anyway, the few months went by, I was still calling my food, lost a little bit of weight, and then they started a second team meeting on, they started a regular OA meeting on, on Saturday nights that my mom was going to, and before it they said the teens could meet there. And me and this friend uh, went and no other teens came, and we came the next week, no other, nobody but me and him came. But me and him talked program to each other. And then I stayed for that adult meeting. So so now, from somebody who wasn't going to be involved in OA, and this was about January, February of 1977, um, all of a sudden I'm going to two team meetings a week and in a regular adult meeting. And then my mother tells me that there's a very big Monday night OA, regular OA meeting that was a big book study, and if I wanted to tr- announce this team meeting, I should go with her to that meeting. And, and, and so all of a sudden, I went on Monday, so I'm going Monday, Wednesday, two meetings on Saturday. And still nobody came, but, but, but me and, and this friend. And uh, then my mom also told me about the LA Intergroup. She goes, that's where you go to announce things. So I went to the LA Intergroup with flyers for this team meeting, and they elected me to their intergroup board. I didn't know what it was. I didn't even know what my title was. And they did, and so all of a sudden now I'm doing service. And I'm, I didn't know. And, and, and that service hooked me in. And what the difference, and, and what I shared at the beginning of my story, 
the difference was all of a sudden I was starting to get active in OA. And I wasn't active in any other part of my life. I wasn't active in school. There was nothing. I was not doing any service for anybody anywhere. wasn't doing anything for my family. There was no organization. And my parents pushed me to do everything. From their background, they wanted me to live the, the childhood that both my parents, because of their circumstances, couldn't go through. They wanted me to do it, and I didn't. And I was also, I didn't bring this up, but we were active, or I was active in a synagogue growing up. Uh, and again, I w- didn't do anything. I just sat there and expected everybody to, to do everything else. I never got involved in anything. But in a way, I was just somehow swept up. And you know what? I started feeling up like I belonged in a way. And, and here I was doing exactly what I thought I judged my mother and all these other people for going to so many meetings and, and doing so much. And here I was eventually, within a short time, I was going to six meetings a week. Um, and damn, how to, you know. And then I kept abstaining because if I wasn't calling in my food and eating three times a day, that Saturday meeting when nobody was coming, it would die. And so I needed to keep on this path to keep that meeting going. And, you know, nobody came from February to June. Nobody came. And then it was summer, and it was in a park. Uh, if anybody knows L.A., it was uh, Roxbury Park. And we said, how do you get people to, how do you get overeaters to come? You, you do food. So we said we will do a pre, uh, a pre, like, dinner barbecue. Everybody bring their own food, and we have a barbecue before the meeting, uh, like a little picnic and, and then the meeting. And lo and behold, as soon as we did that, then that same week, I think five or six young people showed up, you know. And, and that meeting took off. It took off for several years. It took off. It was really good. Um, and, uh, and and then we found out there was a, a team meeting in the San Gabriel Valley in, in Alhambra. There was a team meeting, and somehow we connected with them. And, and uh, I don't know how much longer, if it was that next year or the same year, we had a camp out for teens in OA. And there was about 30 of us, 20-something of us. And we had fellowship. And all of a sudden, I was, all of a sudden, I was in the center of something. I, also rem- oh, I know also what helped me. There was a, another World Service Convention. And somebody asked me, to help organize team meetings at that convention, and I did. And all of a sudden, I met these people from all over California, all over the country, uh, young people who came to that meeting. And I remember just that feeling. I there was never. I, not, I've never taken drugs, but there was. I don't think I could ever take any kind of drug that would make me fly higher than I was with all that love I got at that first time I went to that convention. And 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 and. Uh, it just felt so good. And, and that hook, you know, uh, uh, that really hooked me in, the love, the, the acceptance. But it was, for me, it was based that I was doing service. I, I knew I was a part of it, you know, and I started looking at things differently. And through the years, I've given a service on all levels, you know, uh, and, and now, and I did a lot of things at meeting levels, did every position, got involved in intergroup, region, later world service. I, I, been involved in a lot of, because uh, I love conventions, I did a lot of service at different conventions, um, at doing every kind of position there was, and, and the same, uh, so many things. I remember I got involved in world service, and they asked me to go on the bylaws committee, and I didn't know, I didn't even know what a bylaw was, 
you know? And, they, and how do you cheer something you don't know what it was? Well, I was chair of it. And they say, how do you... I really thought, and again, that old inadequacy that I'm so stupid and everybody knows and I'm just dumb, I'm probably retarded and nobody's holding me. That's how I used to think. I really thought that of myself. So I go in this bylaw committee and I don't know what a bylaw is and I'm doing the service and I'm learning what a bylaw is. And I did that committee maybe a year, two years, and by the end I really knew what bylaws were and I was, and, and I learned that was the lesson and these were the things service taught me lessons in life. You don't, it just doesn't come to people. People learn by doing, by studying, and, and that was the lesson OA taught me. You know, and by doing service, I learned how to deal with people. I learned, I learned things in business. I, I, I work in a bank, and I've been at the same job for 29 years, and it almost parallels the lessons I learned in service. I take to my, you know, you practice these principles in all your affairs. I practice it at work. You know, I give up service. That's what my job is. When the more I'm into service and helping other people, the better I do at my job. It's just amazing. But I learn it here, you know. And um, something else that I share about a lot, I, I went, there was an L.A. birthday party years and years ago. I had just moved out of my parents' home, and I was barely speaking to my parents when I lived there. And I couldn't wait. I moved out when I was 18. I just couldn't wait to get out of there house, I thought I blamed all my problems on my parents and it really was dysfunctional. In fact, I had a sponsor at the time who always said, take responsibility, not your parents' fault, not your parents' fault. As soon as I moved out, he said, you know what, you lived in a pretty dysfunctional thing, it's a good thing you're out of there. But he never said it while I was there. He never let me blame them. But it really was. But anyway, there was, during that birthday party, there was a, um, there was a bat mitzvah for one of my dad's cousins. And I didn't want to go. I wanted to be at the L.A. birthday party with all the people I knew and all my friends were there. And my parents gave me so much guilt that I said, okay, I'll go. But I was really pissed. I was really pissed. But I got to go, I think, Saturday night and Saturday in the morning. I got to go to one meeting. And the speaker talked about giving service to his family. And he had kids and how, you know, he can't. Service is in a way and it's to his family and it's to his work. And I, all of a sudden, I, it was like one of those God shots. It was, it just completely changed my attitude. I had to, I never gave to my parents. I always expected everything from them, but I didn't want to give. And, and giving to them was to go as, to be with them when they went somewhere. They, it was important for me to be with them. And so I went with that attitude. I didn't want to go to this botanist. I didn't feel comfortable with my family. I felt like I was not part of them, but I knew it was important for my parents. And I went. And that was a, a, a complete change in attitude after that. And I started doing that. And both my parents died at young ages. And I developed such a good relationship with my parents from what a horrible beginning. And if it wasn't from OA, and if it wasn't for the service, you know, both of them, when they passed away, both very unexpected, in my dad's case, it was very unexpected, um, I had no amends left. I had made living amends to them. I had worked out so many issues with them and became both of both their friends. Uh, with my dad especially, I was his best friend at the end. And uh, he, My mom had died three years earlier, and for three years it was just me and my dad. Um, so, uh, but it was from doing service. You know, and then I also, a lot of times they say I, I, I didn't learn a lot because my parents were so dysfunctional. But one of the things that my parents did and my mother 
because she had this disease and she was really into her isolation, she didn't want people in her house and it was pretty messy for years and she didn't like people to see her because she had, she was so heavy and, and stuff. But the one thing, my mother had this and my father, this thing that they never turned down going to weddings or mitzvahs funerals. They always knew it was sort of their obligation to show up for family. You know, they, they never said no, they did. So... That was a, something I learned from them, first from OA, and then from them that that was important. And now, you know, now that my parents are gone, I'm the one that's sort of the center of, of, with my family, all my cousins, you know, I'm very close to a lot of them now, all these people that I felt apart from. And, 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 and my brother's like, he doesn't even know who I'm talking about and sort of envious of me. Uh, but I'm sort of the, the thing where, you know, it's just interesting how it goes. And I, it was first from OA and, and then being able to even learn lessons, even from my parents, who I would, if I wasn't in this program, I wouldn't have learned the lessons that they, that they did, that they did have to teach. Um, and, and, you know, now I have uh, kids of my own. And, and sometimes, you know, I can't go to six meetings a week if I can go to one and two. If I go to two, it's a good week. I'm, I'm really happy when I can go to two. And, and, I, and I've learned to balance it. It's, and now, too, my kind of services at meetings. I, I'm right now treasurer of a men's meeting on Wednesday. I've been uh, uh, speaker coordinator. I, I'm doing a lot of smaller service because that's what I can do right now um, with my job and, and with my family. But with my kids, there's a time that it's for me. There's especially Wednesday nights, that's my home meeting, and that's my night. And it doesn't matter, you know, the kids, they can, you know, they don't need me every night. And, and, uh, and I, and I go to a gym a couple of days after work and I take care of myself. But then there's other times, there's times that it, it's totally there. Everything is centers around them, you know, and, 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 uh, and there's times that my work has to be first and I have to put my service there. But that's what always taught me all that balance, that uh, um, that attitude of service. And and it's something interesting, too, and this is a lesson in a way I saw. I wanted everything easy. I wanted, you know, like I said, I just wanted things to come to me. And it doesn't work that way. And one of the things when my kids, I have, we have twins, and I was always afraid of becoming a father because I like to sleep. And I was always afraid of babies because they wake you up at night. And I just, I don't wake up well at night, you know. I just, and the idea of being woke up, having to wake up to take care of a baby. And then when we had two, that was just, I, I couldn't think, I, that was my biggest fear, that I wouldn't, couldn't be able to take care of them. And sometimes it was really hard to wake up in the middle of the night and have, when there's two, you, you both have to sometimes help. And, and and just it was awful. It was awful. But then in the flash, it's over, and they're grown up, and they're as tall as me now. Um, but you know what? It, when it was over, it was like, oh, this was really a precious time, you know. And it went so quick. And then I, I work in I work in a very affluent area, and I meet people who don't have to wake up in the middle of the night to take care of their kids. They have nannies and this and that, and they they're not connected to their kids. They don't have the relationship that I have with my kids. And, and, and I see a lot of drug use and a lot of dysfunction. And all of a sudden I get grateful, you know, that because I, I God gave me the circumstance where I, I have to, you know, don't have a, another way to take care of kids, that that helped me bond with my kids. And I can be grateful. And that's the same with service. I would love to, 
I'm sure we'd all love everything to happen in our way, not to have to do it ourselves, you know, just, it'll just twitch our nose and everything done, but we wouldn't be, it wouldn't be so, this program wouldn't be so precious, you know, if it wasn't, if, if I didn't, all the times that I've given service to know how OA operates, that it just doesn't happen. You know, that all the stuff we do on committees, the, the, all the hard people working on this convention, you know, it happened because they put in that effort. You know, and because I put in that effort, I, I, can, I can come and I'm not, this is my only service this weekend, I can appreciate because I have done that service and I know. And I know sometimes it's other people's turn to do service. You know, and I know that too. So anyway, thank you all very much for listening to me, letting me do service by, by sharing my story. Uh, and just keep coming back. Thanks. Our second speaker is Michelle from Sacramento. I'm Michelle, compulsive overeater. Hi. Um, I got to say, I don't. I wasn't too thrilled about speaking on service, but as I thought when I first got the assignment, and um, in fact, the first thing I thought of was, well, when I was program chair of a convention, I let people decide what they wanted to speak on, and you know, and you know what? Just you, that kind of just tells you that was my first thought. But I have one sponsor who says. You know, you can't control your first thought, but you can control the second one. And the second one was, this is exactly what I need to be speaking on. It's been a really important part of my program. I, I really, I mean, I don't want to sound boring, because David said this too, but I completely agree with him. I think it's completely kept me abstinent. And, um, I mean, along with all the other stuff, but uh, I, it's been a big part of my program. So um, I'm honored to be speaking on it. Um, I'm here with my sponsor, and I was talking about speaking this morning, and she sort of said, you know, well, how were you about speaking when you first got here? I got here ten and a half years ago. I mean, about service when you first got here. And I said, well, I was eager to do it. In fact, I kind of had to control myself with it because that's how I always was. I was an over-volunteer. And uh, she goes, well, wasn't there anything you're, you were reluctant to do? And, I, and no, no, I jumped right in. And I said, well, treasure. I never like to be treasure, but I'll, I'll do it. And then I, later I was thinking, you know, speaking. I, I don't really even, that's the one thing. You know, I'm always sort of nervous about it. So, um, you know, God puts me exactly exactly where I need to be. Um, as I mentioned, I got here ten and a half years ago. Um, and, and I'm from Sacramento. And uh, I've been absent ever since. Thank God for the people who were doing service when I got here. Um, people who were willing to sponsor. People who were secretary in meetings um, because I was the direct beneficiary of that um, and I got to learn from them about how how to do service and what service was all about I remember my very first OA sponsor uh, was the chair of intergroup and I thought that's really a weird thing to do to be the chair of intergroup what do you get out of that <laughs> you know, it's like, who, who even knows you're the chair of intergroup except people in OA and that was my attitude about service and volunteering before OA. Um, and so I will start with my experience before OA, too. Um, 
I also was a compulsive overeater, I think, in utero. Um, I come from, um, I came by it honestly. I got two parents who love to eat and a mom who loves to cook and two parents um, who have trouble expressing their love. I now know, thanks to OA, they adore me. And I also, but I do know my mom used to love to cook and that was how she showed love for us. And that's how I received her love too. Um, I wasn't, um, and I was also, the other kind of significant part uh, in terms of where I've come in terms of service is I was in a family of five kids and I was the oldest daughter, the second oldest um, kid, and the oldest in sort of a group of four of us. So within five years, four of us were born, and I was the oldest in there. And that, in my mom's mind, meant I had uh, job responsibilities, responsibilities of taking care of my younger siblings. Um, I didn't know when I got here, I didn't have a duty statement, so I didn't know that was my response. Those were my jobs, but. I was advised later that was my job, and also I wasn't really doing my job very well. So even as a kid, my mom says, well, you're not doing what the older, oldest daughter is supposed to do. And I'm so wait, I didn't know the oldest daughter had these responsibilities as a little kid, and, and I did. Um, and so um, I was really, really athletic as a kid. And as a girl, you were an outside at that time, because I'm 52, at least where I grew up, being an athletic girl was not good. You were called a tomboy, and I didn't like that either. Um, and I had three, in this group of um, five of us, I had three brothers, and so we were all really competitive with, with, with each other um, in terms of sports and then, and then also in terms of life. And, and I guess that's, that's one of those things where, actually, I've got to time myself. Um, that's one of the things where you're striving uh, for attention. I mean, i kind of thinking back on it. Um, and and I, I was in a family of super achievers, too. Um, you know, my parents were professionals. They were both teachers. And they expect – they didn't tell us we had to go to college. They expected us to go to college. They didn't tell me I had to go get good grades. They expected me to get good grades. And I expected it of myself. I mean, um, and, and I was um, – my parents were very strict, and I was a really, really good girl. Um, and I did everything I could do to try to um, get my parents' approval, to keep my mother from yelling and screaming, to do all these um, things. And um, eating, eating gave me a lot of comfort. I did everything I could to eat. I would steal, you know, steal money from my parents. I, you know, I did what we all did. I don't think I went for a week of babysitting without stealing food from the people's um, homes. Um, and I had to make amends to my parents' next-door neighbor for stealing their food. Um, and, you know, even though that was a long time ago, lo and behold, I was invited to a party. They had moved to Sacramento. You know, one of those things where you just, you don't really, um, thought you'd never see them again. And lo and behold, there's this opportunity to make amends, which always seems to happen. Um, I saw, but I wasn't, I wasn't overweight, but I was a complete outsider. Um, my parents didn't trust anybody. I didn't fit in. I was shy. My parents didn't let me do things. They didn't let me do very much. I couldn't stay out late. I, they criticized my friends. So I was a complete outsider. And then when I hit 13, and all, everything that comes with being a 13-year-old girl, I'm, I'm certain being a 13-year-old boy is just as bad, but I only have experience in being a 13-year-old girl. I did start to gain weight. 
sport, uh, sports was not popular, so and it wasn't I wasn't going to do it anymore, so I just quit. And um, uh, you know, I would sit at home and watch General Hospital when I got home from school. I had a younger brother who actually is not a compulsive overeater, but he and I used to go get packages of cookies and eat them. I mean, I remind him of this, and he just, you know, he doesn't think anything about it. You know, he's a normal eater, but he he did that anyway, anyway with me. In fact, he used to bake, bake cookies. Um, and so, uh, you know, I had, you know, I got, got what I needed at that time, this comfort, but um, I also got... You start out isolated, and then you gain weight. It gets it gets even more isolating, and um, you know weight was a big thing to my parents too because they were always on a diet, always starting a diet on Monday. My parents, uh, my mom took me to um, to Weight Watch. I'm, I guess I'll say the program. I never know what the rules are, but um, took me to Weight Watchers when I was about 16 years old, um, and I would eat the whole carton of the Weight Watchers ice cream, um, thinking that was okay because that was Weight Watchers ice cream. Um, and it, then then it, other things became okay and it, it didn't stick. Um, I did join that program many, many, many times. I mean, like thousands of times. Um, and I was, um, the weird thing was, was I was an outsider, but I also was really active. I mean, active on the outside and so when I was in high school I was involved in a lot of activities I mean I was and some of it was competition with my older brother so if he was in something in high school I was in it and um, and some of it was my parents attitude which is was is, is a really positive thing that everybody should be doing public service and and they they did that of course my dad would do that he they were both teachers and he'd do a lot of volunteer work and come home and yell and scream at us, but he did it. And they felt that that was um, important. In fact, I always say one reason that I had to really work on learning how to handle money was um, because money was not important at all to my family. Being a public service was important. But they would yell and scream about money, too. Um, so, you know, they also gave me a lot of gifts. Um, I also couldn't wait to get away from them, though, and moved to San Diego, uh, went to college in San Diego, um, and did what a lot of college students do, which was, you know, gain gain a lot of weight and um, steal steal from the cafeteria. Um, and but I also um, kept being the good girl. I kept getting high grades. I kept doing some volunteer work um, until until things got actually probably until I met my ex my then husband who was also a compulsive overeater, and the two of us would sort of um, isolate together, and it was almost like I didn't need anything else. Uh, I didn't trust anything else. I didn't have friends. Um, and so, um, but I, you know, I was a good student, and I went to law school, and was a good student there, and um, did do some, started doing some more um, volunteer work. and. You know, I call it service. It wasn't service because I expected something in return. I expected this deflated ego of mine to be inflated. And I expected, um, one reason I used to like to do service, I was president of my kids' swim team board, which really was a full-time job, and I already had a job that was more than full-time. Um, I, I did that because 
that group needed me, and there was nothing I liked more than to be needed, and I'm certain that group um, wouldn't function without me. Um, the interesting thing, of course, is I left that left that group, and they some team still alive, and this was years ago. Um, and what so what I wanted out of it was pats on the head to be told I was good. What I didn't want out of it was to do much work. Um, I didn't want to have to deal with people at all. And so I was a real bitch when I was doing it. And, in fact, I remember at one of those swim meets, someone, another parent came up and told me that I wasn't very nice, which I was surprised to hear because I thought I was really nice and I was doing all this service running these swim meets. Um, and it also, volunteer work then, I, I mean, I was a complete workaholic. Um, I, I, I was in a, worked for a firm with a bunch of type A people and I was type double A. In fact, they told, one of them said I, you know, I was so devoted to my work that I would walk through a wall for them. I thought that was a compliment. In hindsight, it wasn't. It's not a compliment to think that I would walk through a wall for a job. Um, then I had, um, I, I had my two kids and continued sort of in this kind of volunteer, getting active workaholism thing. And um, there wasn't much time in my life for my kids. And I really actually thought that was okay because I was certain they were better off without me. And, um, and so I kind of let um, their dad take the lead with them and raise them and, and things like that. Um, I had, tr but I still, you know, I still hated my weight. I hated being overweight. Um, and so, and I tried all sorts of things. My marriage was falling apart. My life was miserable. I had two kids, a, a, you know, a job and I was a workaholic and I couldn't handle it all. And so we went to marriage camp and I blamed my ex-husband, I blamed my husband. I blamed him. And by the way, he was the one who was overweight, not me. And, um, and so uh, we went to marriage counseling and the marriage counselors, and it wasn't working and we were leaving and the marriage counselor said, husband, you go to OA because he was more noticeably overweight. And because uh, my a lot of my um, uh, diseases between my ears. So I mean I was 50 pounds overweight than what I weigh right now, but most of the time I wasn't. Um, I was up and down and up and down. But I felt like I was 300 pounds. Um, I felt suicidal. Um, I felt you know I couldn't get out of this workaholism. I, I tried changing jobs. That didn't help. I was still a workaholic in a job where other people were not workaholics. I was promoted in that job to be a supervisor within a year uh, of getting there, even though there were people who had been there five and ten years, so I was promoted over them. Um, and so I came to OA, and um, I was a good girl. I did what I was told. Well, I'll tell you, your motive doesn't matter, because if you do it just to be a good girl, if you get a sponsor and work the steps, no matter what your motive, it, it works, and um, I was told right away to be a, to get a service position. That's why I did it. I didn't do it for any other reason. I wanted to be thin, um, and I had nowhere else to go. I tried all, a lot of other things. Um, I had a sponsor. I still have that same sponsor. She's and we're here together. Um, who was gonna, who was going to be the intergroup inter chair, and they didn't have a vice chair. And she said, said, would you do it? And I said, yes. And why did I say yes? To please her. I was shocked that anybody would want to hang out with me, and she did. And um, 
and it still worked because I got to participate in intergroup. I mean, it is funny how we just fall fall into these things because I love David's story. And um, what I learned at intergroup was, okay, I'd only been in this program a year. Issues came up, and I could say what I thought and not expect anything in return um, and and be heard. And, um, and then I was in another program, and... Um, I felt very disconnected in this program, in this other program. For some reason at OA, well, the first meeting I did not belong, I was certain I did not belong. People were weird. Five years later, I came back and I did belong. And I, I have, I loved it. It felt like a little safe place for me. It was the first time I'd ever had friends. Um, but then I was led to another program that involves being in a relationship with an addict. And in that program, I felt like I did not belong because um, the, ad- the addiction, of course, was overeating. And the- in this group, it was alcoholism. And so I knew they were the same. But you know, for some reason, I didn't want to qualify for that other group, just like I never really wanted to qualify for OA. And I was talking to my sponsor in that other program. And I said, I just don't feel very connected. And she said, get a service position. Take a service position, no matter what. And... Um, and so I said, oh, okay. And I knew the rules, that service was a good thing. And I did it, and I did start feeling more more connected. Um, and i got to say, some of it I've also done out of ego, um, taking service, you know, originally. Now um, I have had um, multiple service positions um, at the group level. I have had intergroup um, positions as the vice chair and um, the program chair, the, getting the speakers and organizing the events, uh, the program chair for our, our convention in Sacramento. Um, and I, um, I speak whenever I'm asked. Whenever I'm asked, I speak, even though I'm just one of those people. I was really shy, and I, I can be really nervous about it. Uh, I sponsor people, even though I find um, it's really scary, even after doing it for a long, long time. Just because, you know, because people told me I should do it. And, um, and I, you know, I call newcomers. I take phone calls. Um, and um, it saved my life. I got to say, I remember when I separated from my husband for the, for the first time, in the only time we separated. And I'd been in the program probably, uh, well, it was about seven years ago that that happened, so it's been a program about three and a half years. I had sponsees, they stopped, they weren't calling me at that time. And so I called them and I said, look, they said, well, we thought you'd be going through a hard time. And I said, I need to hear from you. I need to get out of myself right now. I need you. And so they called, you know, I got them to get back to calling and working the steps and getting together. Um, I, at that time, also, that was when I was real involved in our convention up there. And, um, you know, and being the program chair, I, I, you know, I always thank the program chair. Cause it's, a, it's a lot of work. And I, I, at that time, I went, you know, the month before the convention was, I was getting ready to file for divorce. And, you know, it's like, thank God. Thank God I was with all these people. We got together once a month. It was very fun. Um, I got to know people who I otherwise would not have known. And I can remember, though, like working night after night trying to get speakers because I didn't just assign them. I called them all. And um, you know, I never even thought of just assigning them <laughs> next time I know. Um, and um, 
But I can remember thinking, Jesus was a lot of work. Just like I used to think about volunteer work in the past, and I said, yeah, but your primary purpose is, is to carry this message. And um, the other thing I knew was I wasn't going to be able to survive through, you know, divorcing this person who I'd been with since I was 19 years old. I wasn't going to be able to make it through and be present for my kids unless I stayed abstinent. And this was keeping me abstinent, and it was keeping me out of myself and keeping me um, with other people. Um, so, anyway, um, now, ten, you know, it's been ten and a half years, and I still do a lot of service. I still, although it's changed sometimes, I mean, I am, um, I'm not involved in intergroup at the moment, um, but I was a couple years ago. Um, and for the first time, it's funny, I was asked to do this, I'd say for the first time in my ten, ten and a half years, I don't have a service position at a meeting. It just kind of got to the point where I, I go to sort of smaller meetings, and I felt like I was sort of carrying the meetings. And so when the service positions came open, I just sat quiet. In fact, it was so funny because I was ready to finally break down and take a service position that I'd already had recently. and. I raised my hand. Someone said, you know, any, any announcers? And I said, well, we don't have a speaker seeker still. And someone says, oh, yeah, we do. Blah, 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 is doing it. You know, they didn't need me to do it. Um, and so, but what I am doing now, and as I mentioned, it's one of the most challenging kind of service, services, is I'm sponsoring a lot of people, a lot of ladies, and for me, at least. And I just moved in um, with my fiancé, and we're getting married in September, and he's a complete... I mean, it's a normie. He's not in a 12-step program. He doesn't really need to be in a 12-step program, except I'd probably qualify him for, you know, O-Anon but, or Al-Anon or something like that. But, you know, he's pretty pretty good at staying out of my business. And um, he doesn't understand it. He doesn't know why I need to keep going to all these meetings. I go to um, uh, three or four meetings a week still. I used to go to a lot more. Um, and... Uh, he, but he doesn't understand why I still need to go to meetings. He doesn't understand why the phone's ringing every single night. Um, and, you know, there seems to be no but. Again, it's just like going through the divorce, just like going through the good, these good times where I've seen people leave when they've gotten in a really good relationship. I've seen them leave. You know, we leave for any – I've seen them leave for all sorts of reasons when they've gotten in bad relationships, when people have died, when people have – been born, you know, there's all sorts of really great reasons to leave, but I've seen people leave when they've been in a relationship, especially when they feel like they need to focus on the person and the person doesn't get it. And so I constantly have to explain to him, I need to do this to stay abstinent. I need to do this to be the person who you've fallen in love with, because I have a good feeling I wouldn't be otherwise. I need to do this to give back for what I've received, because people got daily, a lot of people got daily telephone calls from me. Um... And so, and I need to keep my life in perspective. I need to know, I need to act. I can't just say it. I need to act like my abstinence is my number one priority in my life. And so I have to keep doing this service. Um, I was reading somewhere, and, and I, I already quoted it to somebody when I was sharing it at a meeting today, and it was really important because it was something I didn't quite get. And... OA used to be almost all my life. All my friends were in OA. I went to daily meetings. Sometimes 
In fact, I, when I first separated my from my husband, I said I was doing 90 meetings in 30 days because um, I would go. Some, I'd been, just happened to be at three meetings in one day. Um, it used to be all my life. Thank God. Thank God it was there. Thank God on Halloween I could call some friends and say, you want to get together for dinner? Um, so that I wasn't home on Halloween with the Halloween candy. Um, and here now, OA's given me this other life. This life, not another life, a life outside of OA. I'm involved in a group, a hiking group that it's not all OA people. They love to eat. We go, they go camping and they just, they have so much gosh darn food and alcohol. Um, and I'm, you know, gonna marry this really sweet, normal eater. Like, he leaves half his food on the plate. I, I can't relate to that. Um, and I read this thing about how OA is not a substitute for life. It's a bridge to life. And, but for me to keep that bridge built, I gotta keep just as involved in OA. Um, and so, um, so that's what I've gotten. I guess the other thing I get a lot of times from my people I sponsor or other people, I don't have time for service. And, um, for me, when I do service, it seems to create a lot of additional time in my life because I'm not so focused on me and the size of my butt and whether I've gained weight and what people are thinking of me. I'm not focused on that. So I got these, these, this half an hour on the telephone with a sponsee. I get off the phone and I am completely present for my fiance or completely present at work. And actually, I, I also, in fact, I, you know, I still write stuff down because I get nervous about speaking in case I forget. Um, but I have absolutely applied um, this idea of service in my life, and it, it has changed my life. I, I love my work. My work is a def, it feels like a service position. It has a mission that I completely believe in. Um, and but there was a time about five years ago where the people in charge were not. I didn't feel were very nice. Um, and I actually had an employee, I was, I'm a supervisor, an employee who was not happy with me and was pursuing legal remedies. And, um, and for uh, someone who really needs to be loved and is not being loved, that, and whose complete identity was work. I'm not a, as big as a workaholic, but I still have a real problem associating myself too closely with my work. It was a really hard time. And so, my sponsor would remind me, you know, what, number one, it's principles before personalities, and, you know, that my purpose was there was to be of service and to keep focusing and to be of service and to think of this person who was suing me as, you know, another compulsive overeater and not, you know, someone who was attacking me personally. And so I completely applied that and it got me up in the morning because I was in one of those moods where I didn't want to get go to work. Um, the other place I've applied it to is with my parents because um, they're they're getting older. My dad was really sick a couple years ago, and I was driving. My, my parents live about 90 miles from me, and I was driving there every weekend after a full week of work. And with and I had two ki- I still had two kids at home, and um, you know I really had to touch base with people in the program and figure out. What's being of service? And, and I had someone say, I said, what's being of service and what's people pleasing and what's going too far? And I had someone say to me, um, you, uh, you, um, if your dad died, what can you say to yourself 
say to God, I've done, done what God wanted. Have I done enough? Have I done enough? Did I do, do good by my dad according to God? And so in that way, I'm still able to take care of myself and take care of my parents to the best of my ability. Um, it's really fixed my relationship with my, my brothers and my my sister now lives in Scotland, but we, we always had a pretty good relationship. But because of that, me and two brothers were taking care of my parents. Otherwise, I completely would have done it myself because I was the responsible one. So um, it's just this has just given me um, a life and relationships that I never thought um, were available to me. Um, I think my time's almost up, but part of this topic was fun and recovery, you know, service for fun and recovery. And, you know, I have had a lot of fun. I can think of when I did do this program chair uh, position, uh, I did it with another lady, you know, who's, who's, who's out there. She's not, she's not here. But, God, we had a great time getting together um, every week and planning this thing and laughing. And it's been the same with sponsees. I remember I got a note from a sponsee. She was, we were sitting next to get each other in a meeting, and her note said, I'm not obstinate. And I sent her a little note back, yes, you are. And then she, she said, oh, I, she goes, it says I'm not abstinent. I go, oh. <laughs> so, I mean, it was just, it, it can be fun. And we can laugh at ourselves together. And so, um, anyway, I, I think that's, that's all I have. And I'm, I'm very grateful to be speaking on service. I was just asked. Uh, to make an announcement that at the boutique, uh, when you go in there, they're having a special that everything folded on the table is a dollar, a bag full is, whatever you can put in the bag is a dollar. So, see that after this meeting. Uh, we'll now have 10 minutes of questions from the Ask It basket. This one says, do you, should we say either speaker how do you maintain a healthy limit on service I have always overdone volunteer opportunities to the point of resenting doing what I said I would doing what I said I would do okay and this one says how do you uh, prevent workaholism in service in a way how has it ever been a problem got a story about it um, you know as everything that I've learned in a way there's a balance, and you can do too much, too little. Um, and, and and it's hard to know what we're, we're, I, I can speak for myself. For me, it's always hard to know what moderation is and, and to trust myself and uh, and to know when and, and, to, and it's been really difficult at times to know whether to step back from uh, when there's a service position, um, whether I should do it or not. And, 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 it, and it's taken a lot of um, 
praying, writing, talking to people about it when I'm not sure, when I feel like I, I'm starting to get to the limit, when it's time to move on. And um, I, I believe in rotation of service, but I also believe in, in you know, I, I've done things as, um, but not to keep changing, you know, I've done things and then I, I've stopped doing them and then years later maybe did the same position after, after a break uh, of not doing it. Um, I, I don't have a story about uh, work, but uh, but it's important. And it's also for me, partly how I saw what workaholism based on my life, what was fair to my job, to my family. So when I used to give a lot of service at a, a at a level that took a lot of effort, I had a job that I could fit it in. I didn't have children at the time. I wasn't married. I uh, had parents I took care of sometimes, but I really was able to put in 10, 20 hours a week, which is what one of the services I was doing was taking. And then as my life changed and and as my job got more demanding, I saw that I had to find service that was appropriate for my life. And, and, and so that's, so I found stuff that I could do that, you know, only took, you know, like at the time, uh, you know, a few weekends, uh, a year, you know, whatever it was that I found, and that's partly how I found my balance, what was fair to my work, to my family, and to OA, and that's helped me find my limits uh, if it would get in the, you know, way of, of my job or my family, then I know I'm overdoing it for me and for my circumstances. Um, um. For me, you know, I have to be careful of taking on too much service, and I've, but I've known that from the beginning. And um, I have to focus on my motive. Is my motive carrying the message to the compulsive reader, still suffering or not, keeping myself absent, or is my motive um, my ego? And um, and is it um, – and so that's, that's how I do it. It seems to keep me in check. The other thing I keep in, uh, in mind is the seventh tradition – that we're self-supporting, and that doesn't mean we're Michelle-supported. Um, and so I'd like to give everybody a chance to do service. Um, and I, I guess I just get to work on um, on keeping balance. And, just, you know, if I just keep my ego out of the way, it seems to, seems to work out okay. And if I start getting resentful, I know it's time to move on because <laughs> there's really no point in creating resentments over it. Um, so thanks. I am active in our inner group, as are a few other people. I have found it hard to get people to volunteer so as to get relief. How do you recruit? And the other one says, if your inner group is small, how do you get them to rotate service, i.e. going to assemblies, world service, planning uh, retreats? And one thing, and Michelle and I, I skipped over it, but about service being fun. And that was one thing that, that was important to me, and, and I, I had that on a few occasions. If we don't make service fun, it's hard to get other people involved. So if we take ourselves too serious, people, we're not a program of attraction, and, and, and that includes the people who are doing service. And, and like I mentioned with that team group, when we had a picnic or barbecue before the meeting, it was fun, and then all of a sudden people started coming to the meeting. And I saw it with service, you know, it, it, sometimes it's got to be serious, but after a board meeting, you know, everybody, let's go out to lunch together. Um, 
you know, to make it so it, it to make it so it's so there's to make it attractive, to make it, 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 there's no reason that we can't have fun. It talks about that in the big book. We're not a glum lot. It includes in service to make it attractive so other people want to do it, and and, and, and I think that's an important thing. Um, also, about getting other people to volunteer. One sometimes, sometimes it does mean letting not raising your hand right away if you want other people to do it, um, and, and it's hard to know when it's. When you, you know, uh, it's hard to know when to do that, but sometimes it's saying, I'm not going to do it and let somebody else raise their hand even though you want to uh, do that. Uh, and rotating, you know, rotating service, uh, you know, it's just to be the example. You can't force other people um, to do everything and, or, or if, and, and they learn. But anyway, it's, it's, that's my take on this thing. Um, I got a really good question because I, I had it on my notes. That's the beauty of the notes. They're just, um, how do you do service for your children? Um, and because it, it, it completely changed. Um, just think about the swim team and being told I wasn't very nice and being the president of the swim team, and t- which completely took me away from my kids. Um, I was very, uh, I still, I was very careful about what I volunteered for, to do for them. And when I did it, my motive was to be of service. And um, so I was involved with one of my daughter's um, cross-country um, teams. And the funny thing was, was I met the coach at a meet, a meet, the meeting in the other program that I'm in. The coach was there. I mean, that was embarrassing because I was a chairperson. So I, but I, it was funny. He and I would talk about serenity out there at the cross-country meets. Um, and so I, didn't, I stopped over-volunteering because I, what good is it going to do my kids if I'm not present? The other thing that's kind of cool is um, I got here just in time for my kids. They were 8 and 10. And so they went through their, now they're 18 and 20. And they went through their teenage years while I was in program. And that meant I went through um, one of my daughters cutting herself, one of my daughters being 14 and having a boyfriend who was an 18-year-old high school dropout. But that's not my judgment that was. But he was 18. Um, I went through hard times. I mean, not... They're really good girls, but teenagers do stuff that's uh, scary. And um, and so because of this program, I had um, I knew how to to just be present, to listen, to go to therapy and just listen. Don't tell them tell them what to do. Um, and um, and now that they're adults, this 18 and 20, um, it's it's kind of funny. I want to be more in control of them than I can be. And I want to give them more advice than they want to hear. And and um, and so because of this stupid program, I know not to do that. So I sit there and tell my sponsor and other people in the program I want to do that, but I don't do it. And it's so funny because they call me and they'll ask me for advice. And I'm just, I'm amazed by that. And um, and I sit there and I'm, it's like I try to pretend like I'm their sponsor, you know, more loving and more nurturing and more um, taking them on. But, you know, one of my daughters, um, she called you, had a terrible breakup with a boyfriend. And I just said, you know what I would do, what I do? And, she, and I didn't really raise them very religious. Um, and I said, and so, and I, I said, I would go out to the beach. She's at UC Santa Barbara, rough life. I would go out to the beach and pray. I go out to the beach and I pray. I also seek out friends who can give me the support I need. 
And um, and then I, if I really need, if you need something more, go ask for, for help from the counseling department. Okay, here's what I did. I picked up the phone and said, what's the number for the counseling department? Um, I couldn't stay completely out of it. But I gave her the number. I didn't call and set up the appointment or anything. So, you know, it's, it's, this program's taught me how to do it, to, to be present and to be available without pounding my will into them. And, um, and it's been a miracle. And, I, and it's where I've gotten, where I got immediate recovery because I was so bad. You know, okay, this really isn't a, I just wasn't a good parent before. And, and, and I knew it. And I didn't like it, and I wanted to be a better parent. And it's it's immediately I could let them go, and I could immediately watch them blossom once they weren't, you know, listening to me rant and rave and and whatever. So um, it's it's because of this program that that I've learned how to be of service to my kids. Thanks. Okay, I think uh, we've ten minutes. Yeah, we'll now have open sharing. We have time for up to three shares. If you have already shared at another workshop, please give others a chance before you come forward. Limit your share to three minutes. Stay on topic. Sign the tape release form after you share. Who would like to come up? And I'd like to address that one that said, how do you get people to step up? Because these people here in this large corporate area don't understand what it's like in a rural area that have meetings of maybe three or four people. But I do. And that's when it's really hard to get people to do service. Um, I lived in Humboldt County. We had whole five meetings in the whole county. And we were lucky to get anybody to do anything. And for a while, we had a, a binging chairperson uh, who, you know, when she was binging, she just wouldn't have a meeting. And people would drive 40, 50 miles for the, for the intergroup meeting, and nobody be, and she wouldn't be there. So uh, that that's a hard one. And what we had to do was just step down, you know. If the place is empty, it will be filled. But one person can't hold the inner group for everybody. Thanks. Yep. Hi, I'm Stephanie. I'm a compulsive eater. And I'm a secretary of an OA meeting in Bakersfield. And um, the secretary before me, she just announced that she'd been doing it for a year and it was 
open for somebody else to to do that and I wanted to keep going to the meeting. I wanted to stay abstinent and I thought maybe if I do this I'll get to. And I I thought that I was um pretty stretched, you know, I've a lot on my plate, but um I I really wanted to stay abstinent. And oh, maybe my pride would um make me go if it if they were counting on me <laughs> like they they wouldn't have the meeting if I wasn't there but um anyway I took that that position and it's been great and um it it turns out that the there were several things for the secretary to do at this small meeting and um I thought it was kind of a lot so I just started announcing that there were these other things available. <laughs> so um you know one day I I announced that um somebody could be the literature person. <laughs> and so my friend said, "Oh, I'll do that." And so she started c- carting around the books. And um then another day I announced that um you know treasurer was available and somebody else started keeping track of the money and um it you know some of the new people coming in didn't realize that these new service things that we were coming up with hadn't actually been a position before <laughs> but um you know it got them to step up and they started getting exciting excited about the meeting and the meeting started growing and it's been really good and um then somebody asked me to be their their sponsor recently and that's been really exciting i'm in a another 12 step program and i i always identified there but but this person doesn't have that program in common with me just away and i and i feel like wow this person is so much like me more than anybody i've ever met in the first time we sat down and i feel so so blessed to be a part of this and um nobody was standing up so i thought i'd come up here and say something <laughs> thanks Okay, it's now time to close this workshop. Please join me in a moment of silence, uh, followed by uh, uh, by the serenity prayer. <laughs>